Blog Talk Radio. everyone to another episode of BC Interruption Radio. I'm your host, AJ Black. As always, with my co-host, Eric Hostis, we're here this week to talk BC football, as we always do. Uh, apologies for last week. I think both Eric and I were busy. We could not record. And uh, we're going to be talking this week about the debacle down in Tallahassee and moving ahead to Syracuse. There's a lot to talk about. We Eric and I are definitely on different pages where, where uh, some of the things we're going to talk about. So it should be an interesting show. Um, so let's, let's kind of recap what happened last Saturday. So Boston College, they were ranked at the time, instead of Tallahassee, to face off with Florida State. Anthony Brown, I think, was the big question mark going into the game. Obviously, he left due to injury against Clemson. Uh, it was hospitalized, according to reports. Around uh, game time, it was announced that he was going to start. Um, he played the first half. BC looked like crap. They couldn't move the ball. They, you know, the play calling went right back to the usual run, run, pass, punt. Brown looked really skittish out there. You know, obviously the injury was clearly still on his mind. You know, and uh, you know they fell down pretty quickly, uh, seven nothing. And uh, you saw that some of the, the big things that we've seen in the past. BC Brown or two interceptions. Lickberg missed a, what should have been a chip field goal, um, and a bunch of blown opportunities. DeAndre Francois of FSU threw two interceptions that first half, and BC wasn't in issue territory, but was not able to put up any points. So then we moved to the second half of the game, and it's like watching a game of two halves. All of a sudden, both teams are clicking on offense. Anthony Brown suddenly has his pass back. He's hitting you know, Co-Rabbit Drizzy and Tommy Sweeney. Kobe White had a huge game, and we're starting to put up points. But then it ends. So BC is up. They're driving, and they stall out. It's fourth and one. BC's on the FSU uh, one yard, uh, 40 yard line. BC's been going for fourth down the entire game. What do they do this time? Dezio uh, has Brown go with. Don't believe A.J. Dillon was in that package. Uh, he just stood there, kind of looked confused, called timeout. They come back out. They take a delay a game and punt it. What does FSU do? I think it's three plays later. DeAndre Francois hits his wide receiver for a 72-yard touchdown pass. Game over. Eric, that was a depressing loss. What are your takeaways from that game? Um, you know, I, I was one of the ones that, uh, did not agree with, uh, coach Adazio, uh, on his decision to punt the ball. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of the mindset. I like the, I like the new school thinking in the game where, you know, you go for the kill on fourth and one. I, I understand Florida state had three timeouts, which is what everyone defending Daz keeps repeating, but, I mean, you get a first there. That's that's that, that's 
pretty much a, a backbreaker to the FSU team. That that is kind of a fragile team, anyways. Um, and I, I didn't get the play, the decision making. As you said, they went for it uh, four or five times before that in the game. Um, BC actually leads the ACC in fourth down conversion attempts, and they have four more attempts than any other team in the conference. So, um, which is kind of a surprising stat, but I mean. Daz isn't afraid to go for it on fourth down, at least this year. And, you know, the, the game's on the line, and he went with the ultra-conservative move of, uh, of punting the ball away. Now, um, another thing that I think is really not getting enough talk is uh, BC blew their final timeout in that sequence because Adazio sent the offense out to try and draw FSU offsides. It didn't work. And instead of taking the five-yard delay penalty like every team does and punting it, he called the timeout. Then he took the five-yard delay game after that. which So it was a total cluster. And um, BC could have used that timeout on that final drive. It was, it was pretty, pretty uh, apparent the offense was out of sync, and I think they, they could have used that timeout to recollect their thoughts. But... In any event, uh, back-breaking game. They they really had a lot of opportunities to beat FSU. It's it's an FSU team that really stinks this year. You know, they they have the the highly recruited kids, but they aren't really playing up to that level. And uh, BC should have won that game. And it's kind of another one of those head scratchers where uh, Adazio doesn't make. I'd say he doesn't make the right move, which which I think you you proved out, and you can talk about it in a minute. But uh, you know, I think there's actual analytics that back up the point that he should have went for the kill right there, right? Yeah. So I think it was one of the Heights guys uh, tweeted out. So if Adazio goes for uh, first down there, runs the ball, I think there was a 92% chance he wins that game if he hits if they if they get that one yard. And if they don't get it, I think the odds drop to 60%. And if they punted, it was like 72%. Now, I, my, my stats are probably off here and there, but that's basically what it was saying. You know, like, if, you, if you're an aggressive coach, and I think a lot of fans rightfully get aggravated with Adazio because, you know, on one hand, you see him be, like you just said, you see him be aggressive at points. Um, there's been many times, and I think we get tunnel vision with this, where you see, like, a game against, like, Miami, for instance, where they go for the kill shot, and they, and they win. But then you get games like this, where he tightens up, and you don't – it doesn't make any sense. You know, he goes out in his press conference and then doubles down on it, saying, oh, all the signs say that I made the right move. What the hell is he talking about? There's no signs anyways, other way, you know, other than his gut feeling – I, there's no stats that say that's the right thing. His whole philosophy doesn't say that's the right thing. He's all year, all game long. He's going for it on, at that at that position on the field and 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 with that body yardage. So I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know how he even makes his decisions because if he has a philosophy, he's not following through on it. He does, you know, when games get close, he gets nervous, I guess, and then makes choices like this. So. I think the frustration is he's not consistent at all. Like, if he goes out there and blows, I think fans would have been fine if he went out there. And even if he did his half-back dive with A.J. Dillon and, you know, Florida State had it sniffed out and stacked it up, you'd hear people complaining about, oh, the predictability of play calls and whatnot. But you wouldn't be getting a jab for that. 
um, you know, as much as not, you know, following through on his aggressiveness. But what we, I think what you see is him do it over and over again, where in, in, in throughout the game, he's like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. And finally, he doesn't in a, in a spot that can win or lose the game for BC. And I think that's, I think it's just really aggravating. Um, Eric, so my question for you, let's look at another piece that a lot of people are complaining about. Running A.J. Dillon 37 times, given his – I mean, he, he went on – A.J. Dillon went on Twitter and said, you know, that he is at 100%. Uh, anyone with eyeballs can look at him and say that's not true. Uh, I mean, what is your thoughts on what Adazio is doing with that running back position? Because he's got three or four guys that he can trot out there, and he's just consistently running Dillon. Why is he doing this? Yeah, I, I, it, it's interesting when you read uh, comments and Twitter and message boards. There, there seems to be divide in this. Um, you see, kind of the um, what I see is a lot of the old, I call them old school, older fans that are like, "What? The guy can't take it 37 times in a game." Bobby Jones carried it 45 times in a game in my day, and stuff like that. But man, it's yep. 2018, and these running backs that have aspirations for the NFL. Um, most of them don't want to touch the ball almost 40 times in a game. Like the NFL teams look at that, they see the wear on the tires, and the NFL teams, frankly, shy away from running backs who just are battered and take an insane amount of carries. So um, it'll be interesting going forward because because when you're recruiting backs, I know they want to touch the ball, but the really elite ones are not going to want to see that they're going to get. 40 carries a game when they're banged up. That's that's not what they're going to be looking for. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I I for one was a little surprised uh, by the amount of carries Dylan got. Uh, like you said, it looks like he's uh, banged up. He doesn't look at 100. percent And quite frankly, the the backup guys, whether it's Levy or Glimes um, or whoever, they've They've done a pretty good job filling in for Dylan, so I don't think taking you know ten carries away from him would would hurt the team that much. But um, what was your opinion on that? So yeah, I think a lot of what you were saying, I I feel I I think a lot of fans feel for Dylan. I, you know, I saw a lot of people saying things about worrying about there on the time. That, but I have felt mostly high this year. You've seen him be more flexible with the running backs. As I, as I posted before on BCI, each of those four running backs has had a big game this year. And many of those games were to, you know, to rest Dylan or because Dylan was not 100%. So you saw guys like Levy or Glines or Dilly. But I, I think what's frustrating to me is, okay, so one of the things he Dazio could say is, you know, oh, A.J. Dillon's a one-in-a-lifetime one back and blah, 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 blah. Well, he says similar stuff about David Bailey, and I don't know, like, I am not, you know, when BC is 7-3 and three and they're playing for uh, to, to improve their bowl, uh, you know, settings, I hope to God that Adazio's not sitting David Bailey so that he can preserve his red shirt. Because that that's Bailey's played, I, I think it was three or four, but if he's really holding that out, I think that's not a really good move. Um, I don't 
I don't particularly think Ben Glines would have been the answer in a game like that. I don't think he's a, you know, the type of back that could do well against FSU. But I, I was surprised also after, you know, a week a, a week after seeing Travis Levy really blow it up, he touched the ball three times. Three times. Wow. And, <laughs> you know, you, you had him as a as your premier back the week before because Dylan was knocked out, and you have him touch the ball three times. So I don't get that, and I don't like the way that they're abusing Dylan. So if he's not at 100%, I really hope, you know, they limit his carries. See Dylan carry it 15 times, have Levy carry it 10 times in, and Glines or Bailey, and, you know, I'm guessing Bailey's not going to touch the ball again because uh, Steve Adazio uh, School of uh, Roster Management, I don't know what he's doing with that, but I think that was frustrating. Um, all right, now the big hot topic, Eric, that a lot of people have been talking about, and I know um, Rich, one of our writers, talked about it a lot yesterday on VCI, uh, is Anthony Brown. Uh, we're now into – about a year and a half of play, you know, he missed the end of last year. Um, and, you know, he's been dinged up a lot. So I think uh, a lot of fans are starting to push for reasons. I have no idea for EJ Perry to start uh, based off of, you know, three sets of downs against mass and a handful of da- uh, snaps against uh, cross and whatever the hell that was against Clemson. Uh, now, I, I well, I'm going to start off, and I'll, I'll, I'll pass it over to you in a second. I'll give you my thoughts. You know, Anthony Brown is what he is. Is he an elite quarterback? He's not. Uh, does he stare down receivers? Absolutely. Does some of his, uh, you know, his, his throws, are they questionable? Sure. And is it frustrating to watch him at times go halves with, like, doing nothing? I, I, I understand that. But when he gets going, and I think this is a, more of an indictment on the system than on Brown, he gets really going. I mean, he almost threw for 300 yards in that second half because he was, he was clicking. And yet, you know, people are going to point to that last set of downs. When Florida State could just sit back and play, defend the path, that's not an indictment on Brown. I don't know what you're expecting him to do. They're going to play protective defense to make sure he doesn't, you know, gas him for 20 yards. But when the system's going, he's going, I think he's a pretty good quarterback. And I, I honestly don't get the E.J. Perry thing. Like, I guess it's, it's, it just reeks to me like the Troy Flutie argument all over again, where a bunch of locals are just in love with the name. You know, he's got a parent that was a big guy in Massachusetts, or an uncle that's a big guy in Massachusetts. Oh, we got to start him. But you haven't seen shit out of A.J. Perry. And it's no offense to that kid. Uh, you know, he may be good. But I, I think any call for Anthony Brown to be benched is flatly stupid. <laughs> Eric, where are you with, with this whole Anthony Brown talk? Um, I guess I'm I'm uh, a little less aggressive in my support of him as you. Um, you know, his his play has been up and down, and uh, I guess we don't really have evidence whether that's the play calling or Anthony Brown himself, and the only way to actually find that out would be good to go to a different quarterback. But um, my whole thing is I don't, I don't think that Perry is the answer. Um, you know, people that I am close to and trust that have, have seen him, even beyond his limited game action this year, people have seen him in scrimmages and practices say, you know, he's not bad, but he's no kind of upgrade over Anthony Brown in any sense. And uh, quite frankly, uh, from what I hear, he really isn't that close to even being better than Brown. So um, 
I do wonder if, if like Perry had come from like Western New York instead of in over Massachusetts, if there would be a little less of uh, fans calling for him to get in the game. Um, I, you know, the back quarterback is always one of the most popular people on a football team, but um, yeah, and, I, and what I've seen from Perry, I mean, he's been a nice change of pace and uh, can can do some option stuff in there, but uh, man, I'd really have my doubts if you're going to make him the full-time starter and um, you know, if the, if the offense is going to run like we saw it run against Clemson, I mean, he's not going to last 12 games being out there running the option like that in the ACC. It's just it's just not going to happen. So, um, I, I'm not I'm not convinced I'm not convinced Brown is the answer, but I am pretty convinced that Perry is not the answer for Brown, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's easy to question, and I, and I don't blame them, for Adazio's uh, detractors to question his ability to scout quarterbacks. I mean, he's not ha- – I mean, look at his track record at BC. He's not had a good track record other than maybe being able to run an option offense with Tyler Murphy. He really has figured out a way to get a quarterback to, to, to be super effective. Um, but I don't I, – I mean, my gut is – from what I've read and what I've heard is they've got a freshman sitting on the bench that they've registered. Matt, I guess screw his name up. Palachi, I think it is. Um, and they got Sam Johnson coming in, who's a four star, three or four star quarterback coming out of Detroit. I think from what I've heard from some people that are, that kind of know the program, those two are going to be the guys that are going to challenge Anthony Brown. It's not going to be EJ Perry. So, I mean, I would be surprised if Adazio went in another direction this year. I think Brown's he's done what he's done, and, you, you know, he's got to manage games, and he's had his moments where he looks like crap, but he's also his moments where he's looked good. But, I, I mean, from what I've seen, I don't think E.J. Perry's going to be an upgrade. So I think that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, now, to kind of wrap up the Florida State talk, you know, that was – this is a, yet another example where Adazio has failed to put away a game. Uh, you know, I think Eagle Atlanta had a, a running record up that he put up on Sunday night. So, I, you know, I, lo- I love to give shout-outs to people who do good work. And Bill over at Eagle Atlanta did a nice job uh, laying it out. I think there's like eight games in the six years that Adazio has just completely botched that ending. So, I think – Eric, do you think he's ever going to learn – or do you think this is going to be continuing to hit his head, hit himself in the head with a hammer as he continues to make the same mistake over? I mean, you get the Georgia Tech game in Ireland, exact same thing happened. Syracuse in 2016, same thing happened. Pinstripe Bowl, 2014, same thing happened. Do you think he's going to learn, or do you think this is just going to continue to be his mistake and this is going to be his sword? Well, someone on Twitter reminded me that he actually said after that Georgia Tech game in Dublin that he preferred to have his defense on the field to win the game for him, which uh, was honestly one of the most asinine statements I've ever heard a coach say before. Um, and, you know, based on his track record with the examples you provided, I, I think I think he genuinely, genuinely 100% believes that, as absurd as that is. Um, and uh, I, I don't think he is going to change that. I mean, I will give credit to him in that um, in his in his five years here, he, he has evolved. He, he he's a little more aggressive at the end of halves now. He certainly goes for it on fourth down. 
uh, not late in the games, but overall in the game he goes for it on fourth down much more than he used to early in his time here. But yeah, there's there's just tons of evidence that uh, when when the game comes down the line like that, he's gonna go the conservative approach and punt it to the other team and hope his defense wins the game and uh, go the safe route. And I don't, I don't see that changing. And honestly, there's probably going to be a couple of times where it actually works out for him so that he could say, see, I, I made the right call there. The next time that happens, I'm sure he's going to be puffing his chest that how smart a move it was that, that, you know, he punted it away at the end of the game and the defense held. Um, so that'll be coming. But, yeah, I think that's the one thing you have to live with with Daz as coach is late in the game, he has set it on the record. He wants his defense to win the game, and that's what he's going to do. So I guess fans are going to have to get used to that. Yeah, so I think the next thing, well, before we get to Syracuse, the one last thing I wanted to talk about um, is his job security. I think a lot of people wanted to talk about firing Daz. I mean, obviously the reaction after that is, what the hell? Fired as I mean, I'm pretty upset myself, but um, let's look at what his job security is. Um, I think you know, he, it, I think the last two games are obviously going to dictate where he was in terms of like the hot, you know, if he finishes seven and six, you could have a legitimate conversation about whether his job is safe or not. But if he goes and wins against Syracuse or if he wins both of the games. You know, I think his job is definitely safe. Um, agree? <laughs> I mean, I, I per- personally, barring them losing like forty-five to nothing in the game Saturday in the bowl game, I don't, I don't think he's going anywhere. E- even if they, lo- even if they lose both games, I, uh, as long yeah. as it's not a complete embarrassment, he's not going anywhere. So I think a lot of people are, you know, I think. I, I'm, I'm reaching out I, there I for the people. I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he should, which probably yeah, surprises no. a lot of people because I'm not I'm not the most pro Adazio guy, as you can tell from my articles in my Twitter feed. But I have I have no desire for BC to get rid of him. Yep, and I, I want to address the names that people are throwing out there really quick that are going to be in a, an upgrade over Adazio. The one that I really want to address, I mean, I wanted Ryan Day in here, and I, I will. More than anything, it's not a knock on Adazio. More than I just want to make sure. I would love to see BC move forward with him. I think he would be the step that they could get to maybe become more com- uh, competitive in the ACC. But I mean, I I got a feeling we're going to lose out on him this offseason. If Urban Meyer quits because of some health things linked to some player scandal or whatever, Ryan Day will probably be the head coach at Ohio State next year. So. I don't know about that, but the one I wanted to talk about that I keep seeing popping up and people are yelling at me about is Don Brown. Um, oh, I, I just want to say on record that if Don Brown took over this program, A, they would take a giant step backwards. Uh, B, I don't think he's better than Adazio, a head coach. He's a great defensive coordinator. That's great. But he's not – he's – Almost, set, he's 65 years old. I know Dazio's getting up there in age too, but at least he's had the system in place. I don't think Don Brown would. You know, you love him because of what he did with defense a couple of years ago, but I don't think he would be any better than Dazio. What do you? Think? No, that's a stupid idea. He he is a great defensive coach, maybe one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. But I mean, the recruiting is not going to uptick more if he takes over. He's going to 
coach with the same mentality as Adazio. Even though Adazio comes from the offense, he's kind of a you know conservative, defensive-minded coach, and um, I, you know that's what I'd see Don Brown bring to the table. The only the only way I want to see them make a, a change is um, you know someone with the profile of Ryan Day, who's coached under Urban Meyer and Chip Kelly, and these ultra aggressive coaches and uh, you know coaches with great 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 offensive minds and and someone who's going to be aggressive and as a bonus for Day, I mean he's actually coached at BC before, so he knows the challenges up here and of the Northeast. So uh, he Ryan Day is like kind of the perfect candidate in a perfect world, someone that like realistically could maybe take the BC job, but as you acknowledge, his stock is almost a little too hot right now. I think I think BC's only chance at day would be, you know, he 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 is from New England, so he'd have to hope that he's just like, hey, I just want to stop moving. I know he has a couple of young kids, too, so he might say, hey, I want to stop moving around. I just want to plant my flag in New England and move back home, and I think that would be kind of the biggest biggest draw for day, but um yeah, I don't. I don't. To, to your point, I don't. Aside from Day, I don't like any of these names that we're hearing. And you know, a couple of years ago, I mean, some of the hot names that 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 are realistic for BC, most of these guys don't pan out. Like the PJ Flex of the world, he's doing junk up at Minnesota. Uh, oh, yeah. Hazel's already been fired from Purdue. Like these guys whose names have been tied to BC in the past. These you know Mac names of the day. Not every one of these guys is Dino Babers, man. Most of them don't don't work out and just kind of flame out so uh kind of kind of be careful what you wish for with uh you know the resources that bc has to put into a coach yeah so i i agree with you it's frustrating to watch but you have to you know especially i think right now i think fans is rooting for dazio to get canned or whatever. you know there's a realistic chance bc could still finish season nine and four in this game and win a bowl game and be ranked in both games. I would imagine that, you know, that that would be a win over a ranked team and, and then a good bowl game win, like the Sun Bowl, they'll get ranked. And I, I think that's a lot of success. I know it's frustrating in the ups and downs, uh, and definitely it could have been better. But if you told I, – I know, Eric, when we talked at the beginning of the year, if you told us that the season was going to end with a 9-4, and, nine and you'd be pretty happy about that, right? Absolutely. All right, so we're at Syracuse now. Syracuse comes in on Saturday um, at Alumni Stadium. I think the biggest news going into the game has to be on the Syracuse Dungey. Um, Dungey, I, I like watching him. Today. I, I know he's he's got like flares of like Perry Field with the mouth and everything, um, but he, he's a tough sob um, who makes plays and he's I, I just see him as a winner and I think Weaver's um, system really accentuates why he's so dangerous. But he had a, it looked like a fluke injury against Notre Dame. I think he went to center and just kind of collapsed. Um, it looked like possibly back, I think I heard back spasms, like he just kind of, like, you know, seized up a little bit there. Um, and with that news, the, the news of the odds uh, from Vegas came out with BC as a 7.5 favorite over Syracuse, which I think is insane. Eric, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was I was surprised uh, by that line too. Um, you know, I, I've been trying to figure out all week why 
why that is the line in this game. I know the Dungy injury is big, but um, Syracuse's backup has played in a couple games this year, and uh, there was actually fans that, based on his performance earlier in the year, wanted him to become the starter over Dungy. Um, and, you know, he had some good games. So, I, I mean, it's it's a drop-off from Dungy, if, if, uh, but it's maybe the smallest yeah. of drop-offs. This isn't a typical, um, you know, backup quarterback off the bench that has to come in and play like like this dude can play. So I, BC is going to be in for a tough game regardless of what Q's quarterback suits up in this one. Yeah, it seems like easy money to bet on Syracuse right now because I, 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 I was almost expecting Syracuse to be a, a favorite. You know, they're a ranked team. BC's on a two-game losing streak. Um, but, you know, BC's the favorite. Um, yeah, I think I worry about BC in this game a lot. I was talking to a Syracuse. I had a podcast with an actually an ex-Syracuse player, Tyler totally or something or other, event, um, who has his own podcast asking about Syracuse sports. And um, I, was t- I was telling him, you know, I, I just I worry how BC matches up against a team like Syracuse. We saw it earlier in this year when we played Wake Forest. When PC, BC plays a tempo team, a team that, you know, rushes to the line like Syracuse, um, I think their, the, some of their flaws get exposed really quickly, which is, you know, those, those underneath plays, the slower middle linebackers and, and the linebackers in the corners. Um, Syracuse has some I, – I really like a lot of their wide receivers. I think they have the kids up. Eric, how do you think BC matches up against Syracuse? I agree with you. It's a it's a tough matchup for BC. Uh, not an ideal opponent. They do seem to struggle um, against these up tempo spread teams. Um, and and Syracuse is a hell of a lot more talented than Wake Forest is. And to your point, BC really kind of had to work to beat Wake Forest uh, earlier this year. I I think the only thing maybe BC has going for them is uh, the weather. Um, you know, Cuse. Cuse down at Yankee Stadium uh, looked off last weekend against a very, very good Notre Dame team, obviously. But still, they didn't they didn't look right in that game. So um, I don't know. Maybe the maybe the weather plays in BC's factor that this dome team has to come down and play in the elements this weekend. Uh, it is it is supposed to be cold. So um, that's that's one thing BC has working in its favor, but. Yeah, on paper, I, I think these two teams are very, very, very evenly matched. And uh, um, on, honestly, I've I've thought all year that Syracuse was a slightly better team than BC. So, so like you, I'm surprised that BC is such a heavy favorite in, in what I think is a pretty even matchup. Yeah, um, you know, I think Syracuse has at points had a really good defense, and I think, you know, it, it, what I worry about BC. Is to run into that when they play football teams. We've seen it a lot, especially against Wake, where the offense isn't clicking. And, you know, the defense may start off by making a stop here and there. But if the offense just continues going three and out, you know, the defense is going to start getting gassed, and that's when Dungy or DeVito is going to really start attacking them. And that's when the game could start to slip away. So I, I worry that, you know, BC cannot go into this game and have a half where the offense is just farting around doing their run, run, pass, punt crap. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, it's it's uh, we uh, game on Saturday. Uh, we'll wrap things up. I actually on the road right now, heading to my in-laws for Thanksgiving weekend. 
Um, and I have to go get my oil change, so I'm actually sitting in a parking lot right now. Um, so I want to wish all of our listeners a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys have a great one with your uh, family. Stay safe, you know, especially on Wednesday night. Be careful out there. If you do choose to drink and drive, you may choose an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be on BCI. I, I don't think Eric and I got a chance to do a banter this week on in writing, but hopefully this podcast will keep you, uh, uh, you know, satiated until next week. We'll have final thoughts on Friday, like always. Uh, you know, we'll give our predictions there. Eric and I will hold off now on giving our predictions, but definitely check out the website. Uh, in terms of plugs, make sure you follow us on at BC Interruption on all the major platforms. You can catch us on uh, Twitter and Facebook at BC Interruption, on Instagram at BC underscore Interruption. You can check us both out on uh, Twitter. You can check me out. I'm at, at BC Hysteria, and Eric's at EJ Hostess. Eric's great for all that nice level-headed reactions to games and I'll blow a basket every now and then. It's always worth it. to see the differences in opinion. Um, then on Instagram, check out Eric's uh, barbecue company at Hoffa BBQ uh, to find out more about his uh, his products and what he's cooking up because it always looks good and you got to catch that again soon. So, Eric, any last thoughts before we head out? Nope. Thanks for the plugs, uh, AJ, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. All right. Yeah, you too, man. Well, everyone, have a good Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you guys all again next week or at some point talk full um, selections. And uh, make sure you follow us on um, iTunes as well and subscribe and share and blah, 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 all that good stuff. We appreciate all all of you listeners and all of the support you give us. Uh, so, you know, as always, have a good one and go Eagles.